You ever wonder why there are so many retired players and beer ads during NFL games? That's because the league has prohibited its sponsors from using active players in advertising. But that will change starting next season as a result of some ad code updates the NFL made that will have huge implications for beer brands, particularly Anheuser-Busch, which spends gigantic sums of money on NFL advertising. I'm E.J. Schultz, Assistant Managing Editor of Ad Age, and on today's edition of Marketer's Brief Podcast, we talk about the NFL's changes with Nick Kelly, who oversees sports marketing for Anheuser-Busch. We also talk about how the Brewers change in the game when it comes to inking sponsorship deals with teams and leagues. They've started to use an incentive-based approach that actually pays out more money the better a team does. So thanks for joining us, Nick. Thanks for having us, CJ. So I wanted to have you on to talk about this big news that the NFL has finally lifted the restriction on having active players and beer ads. And I think this is a pretty big deal for the industry, but most particularly you guys, because you guys are obviously a huge bender in the space. Can So can you kind of walk us through what this change is and, and what it means for, for Anheuser-Busch? Yeah, look, I, I think it's, it's monumental for us. I think that it's one of those things that for, for decades, we've been trying to get as close as we can to players and you know, the ability for us as a, as a leader within the industry to be able to go out there and tell such great stories about these players uh, and what they do off the field, you know, and connect them closer to fans has been like our objective since day one. And I think that it took us some time to, to convince the Players Association, as well as, you know, the actual league themselves, that we're not out there to put beers in hands of players and, you know, make this like a full endorsement like it was back in the 60s and 70s with Mickey Mantle and others. Like we're literally trying to get one step closer to the fans with, you know, if you look at what we've done with the MLB and NBA, it's been very respectful and it's been very much storytelling around those moments in sports where everybody's celebrating the, 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 the player. That's been an issue for us for probably the last couple of years is, you know, when there's a retirement, when there's a big moment, We've just kind of been off limits, so this really gets us kind of last barrier we've we've always had. And so this takes effect starting with the upcoming season, right? Yeah, so it'll take effect, you know, starting in August preseason. Like we've already been working with our with our agency partners and as well as the NFL to get this right. I mean, and again, this is a very measured approach. We it's taken us a little bit to get with uh, you know the league and approve everything. It's everything we're getting approved at this point. We're literally approving out of home, social media posts, you name it. We want to be very respectful of the process. And so backing up a bit, I think the the reticence from the NFL, right, is they don't want to associate anything that would suggest that, you know, drinking a beer is somehow going to make you a better football player, right? I mean, it sounds kind of silly, but that's sort of the main concern originally, if you go back. Yeah, look, we're not Gatorade. I mean, I think that in, in no position are we trying to, you know, put ourselves that we're performance enhancing or, you know, anything of that matter. I think the biggest thing for us is that, we're trying to position ourselves to fans and honestly to players themselves is that after you've, you know, you know, won a game, maybe lost a game, had a big moment in your career. Like we want to make sure that, you know, beer is positioned as that celebratory, you know, product that, you know, <clears throat> you know, he's winning a game and having a diet Pepsi or having a Pepsi to, to celebrate. And I love the Pepsi guys. However, you know, you're celebrating with beer. It's been endemic in the locker room. It's been endemic with the celebration for parties and everything else. We're not in a position where, you know, we're trying to force ourselves on the field. Like we're not going to be a sideline partner for the NFL. 
that said, you know, we're, we're going to continue to push. We're in the locker room for every other sport but NFL. That may be the next thing we're pushing for is that, you know, we know these guys and we've been to these parties and everybody's seen pictures of, you know, the Patriots celebrated their Super Bowl championships uh, the other night. Obviously, they were serving our product. And, you know, I think it's just the fact that we're all, you know, looking the other direction becomes one of those situations that we we were trying to basically, you know, get to a position of responsibly being there uh, without pushing an agenda because we're not trying to force ourselves into any other place. That said, you know, we do think that there's an opportunity for us to be more more welcomed with with open arms the same we are with like MLB and NBA. And, and these rules are exclusive to official sponsors, right? So because Anheuser-Busch is the official league-wide sponsor and you guys lead with Bud Light, like no other brands would be able to do this unless, of course, you have an individual team sponsorship, which I think, you know, Miller Coors does in some teams. Is that right? Yeah, the way it works for us is that, you know, we have the exclusive national rights. And it's the same thing from being a league sponsor. You get the, the national rights. So that's, you know, that's an extreme benefit. So we can do a national TV commercial with Bud Light or another brand and run that nationally, uh, whereas everybody else would have to be locally focused. You know, the other thing is, is that, you know, we have the ability to take, a, you know, in a market where we don't have a team, like a Dallas, I could take six players from other teams that I have partnerships with, put them on a billboard in Dallas. Um, does it connect necessarily with the local market? I don't know. I mean, I think that the biggest thing for us is that the national TVCs and the national media opportunity is the biggest value. Uh, it's a little bit different for us that we're going to have to get used to because on the MLB and NBA side, we have you know exclusivity to group license. So we're just used to kind of playing in our own field. Now we're going to be competitive with, you know, the Miller Coors and, and the Constellations of the world. Right. So for us, it's a lot more strategy than uh, it, it, ha it has been. So we're sitting here, it's June. You know, the season's going to be started before we know it, you know, preseason in, in late August. Um, can you give us a hint on, on what we might see? Like how different will beer advertising look now? Because I, I think what the average viewer is used to seeing, uh, you know, a lot of brands... Uh, have put in retired players, coaches, uh, things like that, that, that are sort of trying to get as close to the game as possible. But because they couldn't use active players, it, it still looked a little little off. So are you going to literally have, you know, like some NFL stars in your ads starting this fall? Yeah, I mean, I can't guarantee that we're going to have them in our, our TVCs. We're still developing our, our our fall campaign. However, you'll definitely see them at point of sale. Mm -hmm. um, you'll definitely see them in out of home and and most certainly digital. I think that the one thing that we do that's unique to not only you know the, the beer category, but just in, in sports in general is that we host these summits and we had all 20 of our team partners in the league uh, come down to Miami a couple of weeks ago. And we kind of walked them through what our expectations were for the year. And within that, we, we walk through the fact that our expectation is that our teams are creating content for us that includes players. So, you know, I think that we're going to leverage, you know, all of our team partnerships to, you know, create 28, 50, 60 pieces of content that, that includes players on top of everything we're doing ourselves. Because as you know, you know, the Facebook algorithm and the Twitter and everything else is that if I were to post something, it's going to be, you know, kind of like squashed down a little bit, but Miami Dolphins push it out there 
every single one of their fans is trying to consume Dolphins content. Mm -hmm. And for us, it's that if they're pushing out content in a channel that they're used to consuming that content, it's a whole lot better than us trying to put it on our Bud Light channel and praying that, you know, a, a Dolphins fan sees it. So, you know, we're doing a great job of leveraging those partnerships to kind of get that uh, the player message out there. And I think that that's where you'll see most of it immediately. I think the rest of it's going to be mostly retail. Uh, and then beyond that, you know, TVCs is still T- TBD. So basically now you'll have a team that can put in some players with some of your product imagery around it and you can kind of let that live and versus in the old days that technically would have maybe violated the, the ad code. Is that right? Yeah, it's hundred percent right. I think that if you look at it now is that we have to use the way it works and I mean, to get into super details is that we have to use active player images that are AP footage, AP images, um, because we can't have a, like a photo shoot the way that some of our counterparts do. So you look at the way Pepsi and Coke and Gatorade have player shoots uh, where they're holding the product. I think that the reason we can't have have our own photo shoots is, is more to make sure that we don't get that much closer to the product with the players. So a lot of the imagery you'll see is going to be live game footage or live game like images. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it'll definitely help and it definitely kind of, you know, exudes the fact that we're the official partner of that team or you know, our player supports it. But I think that that's going to be as close as we can get for the time being. Oh, I see. So you said AP, uh, associated press. So, you know, literally news photos, you cannot stage your own, you know, Pepsi, I think they did a campaign recently on like touchdown celebrations and which was obviously a custom shot thing. You couldn't go that far at this point. No, I mean, I mean, we could definitely do the same thing okay. as they did. But the thing for us would be is that we're literally going to have to go out there and pull footage of touchdown celebrations. So we could do the exact same thing Pepsi did, but we'd have to pull our own. I see. You're, and you're okay with that? I mean, it's still a, it's still progress. I mean, look, it's progress. I think that uh, in a perfect world, I, I think that w- I feel like we're like halfway there. Yeah, I feel like we're still a little bit not completely there. I, you look at you know what's going on in MLB right now. Like the MLBs become as accepting as having players have product in hand. Like I'm not, and, and no point did we even ask for that. Nor do we actually feel comfortable with it. However, you know they're a hundred percent okay with us doing photo shoots and using you know you know, imagery of players that are, are more staged. I think that the NFL just, you know, given the size and complexity of the, uh, of the, the beast that it is, is this is like an easy first step to make everybody comfortable. And then the next step may be getting closer to, you know, NBA and MLB. Got it. Speaking of the NBA, I did want to mention a campaign you guys did recently, which was, I think a wild success uh, involving Dwayne Wade. Um, and that's, I think, sort of an example of kind of how you guys are viewing your sports partnerships. Do you want to talk about that campaign a little bit and how it came together? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> I think the biggest thing that, for, for the Dwayne Wade you know, campaign was is that, you know, our Budweiser team is, you know, second to none when it comes to coming up with these types of ideas. I think that they literally um, sit around all the time and think about, all right, we sponsor the MLB, the NBA, all these other big properties. We have access to some of the greatest athletes in the world. You know, how do we, you know, tell their stories? I think that the Dwayne Way one's one that we actually identified back in December. And it was one of those situations that we knew that this is going to be a big opportunity. It's not like a, a regular retirement um, because he transcended kind of culture. You know, he's married to a, you know, a, a famous celebrity. He himself has become celebrity status. Um, and, you know, for us, it was, you know, how do we do it without just running a sports center highlight? 
And that's been, you know, the biggest thing for us is that we clearly have, you know, we go into every meeting understanding we're not sports center. We're not Gatorade. We're not Nike. Like we do not exude the performance on the, on the court or on the field. So for us, it's telling the story of, of the human being. So if you look at what we did with Derek Jeter and Dale Jr. beforehand, it was literally, you know, what are the storylines about this person that you may or may not know. And I think that that for us allows us a space mm-hmm. uh, to go in there and tell stories and celebrate the individual uh, in, in a different way. And so, you know, for us, mm-hmm. we wouldn't have been able to do that type of content a year ago. Like we weren't in a position to go out there and take an individual athlete and celebrate them. And that that's kind of, you know, I honestly believe that plus a couple of the other things that we've done responsibly with Budweiser and MLB and NBA over the last year kind of put us in a position to, to get access to the NFL athletes because, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I think that we've been responsible about telling those stories, and I really think that it's kind of shown. And just for people who aren't familiar, the Dwayne Wade video basically kind of played off what he had started to do his final season in the league in which he was giving away, you know, swapping his jersey with opposing teammates. And then your video showed him being confronted by everyday people's lives who, who he had touched throughout his career, basically. Um, I think it, maybe you want to just give a quick description of some of that, uh, some of that footage and, and how you guys put it together. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest way, if you, if you look at it from uh, our standpoint was that they've every, every week sports center, or, you know, Fox sports would go in the highlight, you know, the Jersey exchange before the highlights of the game. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, we, the original conversation for us was how great is this? Let's highlight all the people he's exchanged jerseys with. The reality was is that like that's not our story to tell. So what we did is we found five individuals, including his mother, um, who he was who he's impacted over the last you know five six years of his career, where he's really been philanthropic. And instead of exchanging jerseys, they exchanged everything from t-shirts to graduation caps to you name it. And I think that 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 really for us was was an opportunity to play off of something that was truly happening uh, within culture, which is, you know, this big jersey exchange thing. But putting our own spin on it and honestly creating an opportunity to tell the story around, you know, the impact he's made. Because we could have just done a, you know, here's what Dwayne Wade's done for over his time in Miami. This kind of made it a little bit unique. Um, and the best part about it for us was he didn't know. Like we worked with his agent. We worked with his management team, the Heat the NBA and everybody knew what we were trying to do. But it was a genuine, you know, shock when these people came out and they met him, including his mother, because I don't think that, you know, this is one of those things that you can go up there and script and hope this for this reaction. Um, that was one of those things that we, you know, kind of forecasted that these are the types of conversations that we don't want them prepared for. Mm-hmm. You know, we brought the, the video itself three minutes. The conversations each lasted 30, 40 minutes. Like this wasn't a short interaction. So this is one of those things that um, we got, you know, to be perfectly honest, we we're really lucky. Mm-hmm. He's a great guy. You know, the stories themselves kind of tell themselves. Uh, but I think at the end of the day is that these are the types of things we're trying to do moving forward. And how many impressions did you guys end up getting? Cause it was a digital only effort, right? Yeah, it was digital only. So we didn't run it. We ran it like a, a shortened version on for literally his last game that was broadcast on ESPN one time, yeah. but there really wasn't, that wasn't what was built for is built for digital. 
I mean, the total views is over 20 million. If you start looking at the earned media on top of, you know, shares on uh, stories and everything else, mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're, we're approaching hundreds of And millions. it didn't really explicitly plug Budweiser necessarily. I think it was pretty subtle branding. What did you guys get out of that? It's, look, I mean, I think that the biggest thing for us is that where we hopefully show Heat fans and NBA fans that we understand them, what they care about, you know, their culture mm-hmm. as it relates to, you know, celebrating the, the, the biggest players in the sport. Uh, if, if you notice, you're right. I mean, it was very subtle. Like there was literally some branding in the background. Uh, there was an open and a close. But I think for us is that, you know, everybody referred to it as, you know, the Budweiser Dwayne Wade spot. It wasn't like a cool Dwayne Wade video. It was literally the Budweiser Dwayne Wade video. Other people who he has relationships with also put out videos, but, you know, they weren't like, hey, check out the Nike video or the Gatorade video. This was literally check out the Budweiser video for doing weight, like that association with the fact that we're creating content around their culture and their their passion points is the most important thing to us. And this kind of content play kind of feeds into a larger question I had for you. I wanted to get an update on the new way you guys are approaching sports sponsorships in general. And I think in the last couple of years, you guys have kind of changed the game. You've come out with more of an incentive based approach when you sign sponsorships with teams or leagues. In the old days, I think sports sponsorships were all about just awareness, right? Getting the the Budweiser sign up in left field, um, getting a few radio ads. Um, Talk about your new model, because I think you guys are actually writing it in your deals where your partner, whether it be a league or a team, actually would get paid more if the league actually performs better on the field or even hits certain metrics that you guys establish in terms of getting their own content out there. Is that, yeah, absolutely. Did I describe that right? Or no, you look, you're spot on. I mean, I think that if you think about how we're doing this, it's that, you know, it's kind of a pay for play. Cause I think that if you look at it our way is, you know, when this is the, I I get yelled at every time I say this, but it's, it's the facts is that, you know, every team that ever wins a world series or super bowl or makes the playoffs comes to you during a, a contract negotiation and expects more money. That's just the expectation because they're more valuable today than they were yesterday. And no point does a sponsor ever go back to them after they don't make the playoffs and ask for their money back. So where we've come is, is kind of positioned ourselves, you know, from an on-field standpoint of if you're successful, you have immediate reward. There's immediate, you know, gratification of, you know, you've made the playoffs, you made the third round, you know, you made the Super Bowl or the World Series, you know, here's an immediate, you know, transaction that says you're more valuable today than you were yesterday. Um, we're going to you know, reward you as such, because for us, we've built this incentive model strictly around what drives ROI. And we know that the ability for me to activate a team at Golden State, you know, all weekend long, every day, you know, for the last month and a half is driven off the fact that they're in the playoffs. If they weren't in the playoffs, I couldn't do anything with them for the last month and a half. So there's an inherent value driven over the fact that they're now, you know, they're in the playoffs and they're successful. The other part about this incentive model, which I think has been the biggest misconception, is that, you know, a lot of it, you know, usually 50 percent of a, of a contract is based off of stuff that the team can control. And, you know, you, the Dwayne Wade piece is a great example. I don't have an, ex, you know, there's no expectation these guys are going to go out there and create a Dwayne Wade piece. That said, they can go out there and create player content for us uh, that can reach their fans. So what we're putting in a lot of these contracts is social and digital KPIs that are, you know, dedicated towards engagement or reach or impressions or, you know, everything uh, included. I think the biggest thing is, is that what we're not including is 
10 posts because we can do 10 posts that the social media manager for that team hates to do every week. And it's like the Bud Light play of the game. Everybody's going to like that thing because it's the play of the game after they won. So there's going to be 20,000 likes. That does nothing for us and it really does nothing for them. Um, so what we've worked with them on is that we're creating original content by team, by league, by sport uh, to go out there that really drives our, our you know objectives. So that has been extremely challenging to be honest, because I think the thing is, it takes a lot of time for us to sit with all of our teams and all of our league partners and be like, here's the objective for Budweiser, Bud Light, Michelob Ultra, and letting them know that like, this is what our expectations are. And not all teams are created equal. Mm -hmm. Some teams have a 30 person marketing and production team. Other teams have two people. So that has become, you know, the biggest eye opener for us is that trying to find ways to be successful, you know, with, you know, what you have available to you. So in a, in essence, you're sort of outsourcing some of the content creation to the team, but you're rewarding them by saying, if you do this right, you'll get more money. Is that, is that the bottom line? It is. I mean, and the, the way we've kind of positioned the teams too, is that like, and even internally for us, this is a hard sell in internally because it's a lot of variable and what, what your budget is every year. The biggest thing for us selling internally is that we know the inherent value from these partnerships is coming from these types of activations. And we also know too, that like for me to create that level of content that performs well and amplify it on social and digital media is going to cost me X. So what this does is really say, all right, I would have paid for that anyway. So I rather pay you to do it for me and put it on your channels. So it's not necessarily a transfer of costs, but the thing is, is that like mm -hmm. our partners can do it better than us, uh, given cool. you know the, the right push. We'll be looking. Uh, we'll be looking for more of that stuff in the in the coming months. I wanted to end on a just a little bit of a personal question. I mean, you've been running the U.S. sports marketing for AB for for a while now. What what is your schedule like? Do you go to a lot of these games? Are you constantly, you know? going to uh you know st louis cardinals game or some of your own team's games how, how do you keep an eye on what's what's happening out there in the field I, I can't tell if i'm either the worst or the best partner in the world because i uh i probably only attend about seven or eight games a year period but i'll go to 50 or 60 stadiums in a year because for me it's much more about actually going like mm -hmm. when we can spend time with the team that we're working with when we spend time with the front office um you know and when you go to a game these guys are laser focused on the success of the game so i don't know i mean i think that i probably go to you know 50 or 60 venues but only seven or eight active live games like i mean i may be the worst partner in the world for not being at the blues <laughs> game last night but i'm actually in you know vegas today for the nfl executive summit like you know, we go to the things that actually move the business, you know, and I love sports and I love going to games. But right. at the same time, you know, from a productivity standpoint, you don't get a whole lot done, like because you're literally seeing the experience, which is great. But, you know, we're trying to sit down and have conversations and, and kind of move the business. And if you're not if you're if you're sitting there worried about, you know, how, what's going on with concessions and everything else is it's tough. Who is your favorite team? I got to ask you. <laughs> um, so I'm a big Nationals fan. Uh, it's funny is that I, my, my father was in the military and I had, we moved around a lot. So we were never a big sports, you know, family when it came to like having a single team. And when I was in college, uh, I'm from Virginia Beach, the Nationals kind of got started up and yeah, I think it was early 2000s. And uh, that was like the first team I could kind of adopt as my own with no history, no anything. So I've been a Nationals fan since day one. I was at the first game at RFK and I was the first game at New Nats Park. So I love it. And, and I 
I'm guessing you've been to a few more than one Super Bowl, right? Yeah, so I'm I'm on five now, which you know compared to a lot of people in the industry is not a lot. But you know, I started and as you know, I started. I used to work in corporate affairs at AB, and I started when I was doing uh, PR for Bud Light, and we did the uh, basically the house of whatever, which was kind of a take on Bud Light Hotel, and we've done the last couple of years B two B, but uh, th- this past year was kind of fun because we were able to do the. Uh, Bud Light Super Bowl Music Fest, which was a, kind of our first take in the last couple of years to get back out in front of consumers. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Super Bowls, it's, it's, it's our own beast. I think that yeah. it's not necessarily the most fan friendly. It's more of the, you know, it is, it's just a big event and there's a lot of people. There's a lot of money moving around the marketplace. So last question, Super Bowl or otherwise, what's what's the best sporting event you've personally been to yeah yeah i, I mean it's uh, probably cliche but the masters uh, i mean it's just it's different i think it's that the fact that you know somebody like myself who's a super brand forward and sponsor oriented there's no sponsors at the masters i mean they have their their four four or five you know corporate partners that you see on tv but once you're there like it is the cleanest environment i've ever seen it is the the customer service for them to have a one tournament all year to get the people of Augusta to come in and be the most polite, you know, honestly, like well-educated people on the premises it is literally, it's like Disneyland for, for a sports fan. And it literally has become, you know, the one event for me that if anybody says, what do you, what should I go to? It's like, yeah. go to the masters. That's good advice, but a tough ticket. It is. I mean, you know, what's interesting though, is that like I, you say that is that the more I've looked, like there's a way to get there. It's just, you know, how much you're willing to pay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll leave it there, Nick. I want to thank you again. Uh, great having you on today. No, I appreciate it, EJ. Look, I mean, we, you guys have, uh, you know, we appreciate all the support you guys have had in terms of covering, you know, what we're trying to do. I think that what we're trying to do in the sports space is push the needle. Uh, we're doing that right now. We pushed the needle with getting players for MLB and NBA a year ago, and we think that that helped kind of get this over the line with the NFL. And obviously with the incentive model and everything else, you know, we, we always want to make sure that other people know that we're not – it sounds stupid, but we're not just doing it for ourselves. Like we think this is the right thing to do. Cool. Like these are the stories that need to be told. Great. Well, we'll be watching. I appreciate it, EJ. All right, take care. That was Nick Kelly, head of U.S. Sports Marketing for Anheuser Busch. My name's EJ Schultz, Assistant Managing Editor of Ad Age. I want to thank our producer for today's episode, Max Sternlich, and remind everyone to subscribe to the Marketers Brief podcast on your favorite player. See you next time. <laughs>